0: Church family, I invite you to open up to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11, our text for today, verse 36, the title of our message is Glory of God Alone, Glory of God Alone, Romans chapter 11, verse 36, this is the word of God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I'm going to read that one more time. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, would you help me as I seek to preach your word. Help us as we seek to listen to your Holy Spirit. and Father, as we seek to have teachable spirits, wanting to learn, wanting to grow, becoming more like Jesus, our Savior. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Over the past several weeks, we've been considering the five solas of the protestant reformation the the teaching of the church during the 16th century had become corrupted uh we've said this we've seen this um especially when it comes to the doctrine of salvation um how somebody comes to um, be forgiven of their sin and that as we saw last week stems from a, a false understanding of scripture the doctrine of of God's Word. To put it very simply, the official church at that time, which was the Catholic Church, was teaching that salvation was a reward to be earned rather than a gift to be received. It was a reward to be earned rather than a gift to be received. It was something that you gained by doing enough good things rather than through believing in the only one who has ever done enough good things. It was something that came through self effort rather than the effort of Christ. It was something which rested upon the authority of the church and its leaders rather than upon the authority of God's word. Or perhaps the vilest thing about this works-based doctrine of salvation is that it undermined the glory of God. And that's true of any version of a works-based salvation. Ultimately, it undermines the glory of God. Yes, the cathedrals may have been large and impressive. The liturgy may have sounded reverent. The Priestly garments may have looked heavenly in an earthly sort of way. Scripture may have been read, but God's God himself was not being glorified. He wasn't. Why is that? Well, it's because a salvation was being taught that did not have God as its ultimate source or God as its ultimate aim. A salvation was being taught that did not have Jesus Christ as the author and the perfecter, Of that salvation, a salvation was being taught that resulted in the praise of man because it depended upon man to ultimately be accomplished. But clearly, it's not a salvation that would be from God, because God its a very important truth for us to know about the God that um, that we serve. He does all things for his glory. He always works in such a way that he gets the glory. Now, we've been looking at the five solas of the Reformation. Hopefully, you, you know those by now, the five solas. See if we can uh, remember them together. Sola gratia, which is grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Solas Christus, in Christ alone. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. And soli deo gloria. There you go. Glory to God alone. And now... All right, one final time. We'll see if we can put this in our sentence. Okay, let's say this together. Are you ready? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Good job. Some of y'all weren't, weren't trying to look at, at, the, at the screen. You are trying to say it uh, by memory. That's excellent. We began by looking at grace alone. And I I just, just want to remind us of these just truths that we've learned. When we consider grace alone, we realize that salvation is a free gift that's based on God's choice to love and save us, not our works to earn his love and salvation. And we looked at faith alone and we said that the only way that we can have confidence in salvation is if we're completely depending upon Jesus. If We're depending on anyone or anything else. We can't have confidence that we are right with God. And we looked at Christ alone and we learned that our need for a redeeming mediator has been perfectly met in Jesus Christ. I hope we meditate upon that this Christmas season. And then last week we looked at scripture alone. We learned that in a world full of opinions, the Bible, God's word, is the final authority. And all of this then results in soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. I want us to focus on this one verse of scripture today Um, in a way though, we're going to look at other verses of scripture. I don't normally preach just one verse of scripture because um, that can be a recipe for ripping a verse out of its context. But I think the way that we're going to walk through this today, we're going to actually look at the context um, and take this verse in its context. Um, But this one verse will be our uh, main verse for today. This verse from Romans chapter 11, verse 36, it in a way sums up the entire Bible, I think. Uh, From beginning to end, the Bible is all about the glory of God. It's all about the glory of God. And that's so because the Bible is about God and God is about his glory. And so it makes sense that his revelation of himself to us would be all about the glory that he is worthy of. The activity of God we see displayed and described in the Bible is about the glory of God. His glory is at the center of the universe, both now and as we see in this verse, forever and ever. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Which means that if all things are from him and through him and to him, then included in that all things is salvation. Salvation is from him and through him and to him. Salvation is for his glory. And so any doctrine of salvation which does not result in God receiving the glory must be counted as a false doctrine of salvation. In other words, it's not coming from God. I don't know where it might be coming from, but it's not coming from God if it does not ultimately result in him getting the glory. Let me put it this way. Church, the only true salvation must be one where God receives all the glory our main idea for today. The only true salvation must be one in which God receives all the glory. Romans chapter 11, verse 36 could be called a, a hinge point in Paul's letter to the Romans. It's definitely attached to everything that comes before, but I think it also propels us forward in the letter to everything that comes after. We can divide uh, <coughs> the book of Romans into two parts. Uh, part number one is about what we should believe. Part number two is about how we should live in light of what we should believe. Chapters 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11, part number one of the book of Romans. Paul provides, I think, perhaps the most detailed explanation of the gospel in all of scripture. And then when he gets into part two, which is chapter 12 through chapter 16, Paul shares ways in which this gospel is going to impact how we live day-to-day life. As we look at chapter 11, verse 36, I want to I kind of um, organize our thoughts around three truths that I think that we learn from this verse as we look at it in the context of the book of Romans. The truth number one is this, church family, only God is worthy of glory as we consider how and why we have been saved. Only God is worthy of glory as we consider how and why we have We have been saved. And we're going to consider that for a few moments. As I said, this verse is attached to all that comes before it in the book of Romans. Beginning in chapter 1, running through chapter 11, Paul lays out a case for salvation. Let me summarize as best I can all of chapters 1 through 11. I hope what happens today, by the way, is just to get a a little taste of of the beauty of the book of Romans. And maybe this week, go and and this week or even throughout the Christmas season, meditate upon the book of Romans in light of who Christ is and this Christmas season, him coming to us. But here's a, here's a, a summary of 1 through 11. Salvation is a gift of God's grace based on the sacrificial work of Christ given to all who believe in him regardless of ethnicity, and all of it according to God's sovereign will. In other words, chapters 1 through 11 of Romans answers this question, how can we be saved? This fundamental question for us, how can we be saved? How can I have a right standing with God? How can I be acceptable to God? And the answer to that question actually answers the second question, why have we been saved? But let's consider the how for just a moment. Now, what I would encourage you to do is to... To, to rustle pages in your Bible today, okay? Um, we're going to gonna kind of scan through the book of Romans. And so um, I would encourage you to kind of scan through as we, as we go. In um, Romans chapter 1 through chapter 3, uh, Paul explains that every single person is a sinner deserving of God's wrath. If you look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You catch out the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then when we get into chapter 2, Paul addresses the Jewish claim of righteousness. You see, Jews thought that they were righteous because, one, they had been given the law, so apparently they had a special standing with God because they had been given the law, and because they tried to keep the law. So they thought, well, we're righteous because of that. However, Paul points out that they are lawbreakers. They had not kept the law to the standard of That God would accept. And that standard is perfection. Yes, they had been given the law. Yes, they had tried to keep the law, but they hadn't done it. You see, there's no difference. You can kind of see this going on in chapter 2. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile when it came to their standing before God. If you do what is right, super important. If you do what is right, regardless of whether you have the law or not, you'll be accepted by God. If you fail to do the law, if you fail to keep God's law, you fail to be perfect, it doesn't matter if you have a law or you don't have a law. You're still guilty. And so you're in the same boat. Whether you have a law or you not have a law, what matters is whether or not you've done it. And if you haven't done it, it doesn't matter whether you've had it or not. You failed. And then the first half of chapter 3 drives home the point Paul quotes from the Hebrew Scriptures. He goes back to the Old Testament, and I'll just quote one of the verses that he quotes. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. That's Romans 3, verse 10. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And then he states it very clearly, kind of sums up his first point in this letter in chapter 3, verse 20. He says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin catch that? For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. That's a problem. You know what it means to be justified? It means to be declared righteous. You know who who gets to live with God forever? The righteous. But that verse just told us that no one is declared righteous. No one is justified by works of the law. We can't do it. That's the problem. But there is good news, church. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. See what he's saying? He's saying, all right, you're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to earn righteousness through the law, but let me tell you the good news. The good news is that a righteousness has been manifested, has come to be made known Apart from the law. It's a different way of being counted righteous. Although the law and the prophets bear witness too. In other words, it's not a new thing. This has been God's plan from the beginning. Just haven't read the Old Testament the right way. What is this way of being counted righteous apart from us earning it through works of the law? We'll look at chapter 3, verse 22. It is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What you're going to see is, as we walk through this, it's kind of a, a, a putting together of the, the other soulless, this grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's, it's not a righteousness coming from the law, it's a righteousness coming from Jesus, and it's not coming from us trying to be good like jesus it comes from us believing in jesus that he's going to do it for us that's the faith part now who's it for who's it for if we've all sinned who's it for well look at what comes next chapter 3 verse 22 23 for all who believe for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and are justified by his grace as a gift again we see our shared problem even as we watched that video earlier people that speak a different language than us what 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 a, what a huge difference in our language, in our culture, in geography, the place we live, our way of living. But you and I and every person in that video that we watch on the coast of Africa share the same thing in common. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned. No one measures up. And yet, this verse is telling us that all who believe in Jesus will be counted righteous. All who place their faith in Jesus receive this free gift of justification. This gift of being declared righteous by God, which is what we need. Then we ask this other question. Why Jesus? Why is it Jesus? What is it about Jesus that faith in him results in the unrighteous being declared righteous? Well, look back at verse 24 verse 20 go ahead and into verse 25 it says we're justified by his grace as a gift why jesus through the redemption that is in christ jesus so jesus has done something that buys us out of our slavery to sin that's the word redemption and then the verse goes on whom god put forward who god offered notice the emphasis on god doing this not us as a propitiation fancy word that means a satisfaction of god's wrath by his blood so This Jesus, the Son of God, has to die. He has to shed his blood to satisfy God's wrath towards our sin. And it is to be received by faith. Again, not works. It's by faith. Now, let's just pause for a moment and see what happened really from like a 30,000-foot level. Those verses are packed with just amazing theological truths that will bless our hearts if we'll just spend some time meditating on each of those words. We're not going to do that today. I want us to see the big picture. Here's the big picture. We are sinners. We can do nothing to save ourselves. We are under the wrath of God, and God has acted on our behalf. God has acted. He's the one doing the work here, and and His action isn't merely just like giving us a little boost, you know, like let me give you a little a little push because you're 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 not you're kind of slipping a little bit. Let me let me give you a little boost. He hasn't merely just given us some good advice on how we can live better. He hasn't merely picked up the slack where our good works weren't quite good enough. No. God has acted on our behalf in such a way that he has accomplished all of salvation for us. He has done it all. He manifested it. He made it known to us. And it's a completely different way to be counted righteous rather than us trying to be good enough through works of the law. And this way was him, again, notice just the emphasis on who is doing it. This way, this new way of being counted righteous is, is him pouring out his divine wrath. He is doing it. He's pouring out his wrath upon his son in our place such that now he gives. It's his to give. It's a gift. He can give us a free gift of redemption, forgiveness, justification simply through our dependence upon what Jesus has done. God has done it. That's the point I want you to see. God has done it. How are we saved? We're saved because God has acted on our behalf, doing for us what we can never do for ourselves, and he's done it all. Which then leads to chapter 3, verse 27. It's very important. Paul says, then what becomes of our boasting? It's a great question, right? Oh, we want to pat ourselves on the back, and that's the problem with a works-based salvation. Paul says, then what becomes of our boasting? You know what his answer is? It is excluded. It's kicked out. There's no more. There's no more boasting from us. Why? Because we didn't do it. You see the connection then with chapter 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. We don't boast in ourselves. We point to God and say he has done it. God does all things for his glory, which most definitely means he's provided salvation in such a way that he gets all the glory. We've got nothing to boast about. This is one of Paul's main arguments against the false teachers in Galatia. If we could switch to another book for just a minute. Um, you, you don't have to turn there. But in, uh, Paul writes this letter to, to the church in Galatia. And he's addressing some of these same issues. The Judaizers there were seeking to interject the law into the formula for salvation. They were preaching the necessity of good works for salvation. This is what Paul says. He says, accursed. That I means cut off from God forever. Accursed be anyone who preaches any other gospel than the one that I came and preached to you. What gospel is that? It was the gospel of salvation by grace through faith. It's what we just looked at in the book of Romans. That's the gospel. He says, a curse be anyone kicked out from God forever, be anyone who preaches a gospel other than that. He wrote to the Galatians, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then and then he gets to this boasting Thing at the end of his letter to the Galatians. He, uh, he, he points out, he exposes the vileness of what they are preaching, any attempt to be justified by works. He says to those who are preaching this workspace salvation, he says, he says you're boasting in the flesh. That's why you're doing it. He tells them that he says, you're boasting in the flesh. There's a lot behind why he says that. But, but he, he's saying, you are trying to take the credit for your salvation. And the salvation that you're preaching is the salvation that you could take the credit for because it's based on what you can do, except that you can't do it. That's what makes it so horrible. And then Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, you're boasting in your flesh. That's what these false teachers are doing. He says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do you do when you boast? You're, you're, you're pointing to that thing or person which has done the work and deserves the credit. That's what you're boasting about. So if, if you do something great and you boast about it, you're saying, Hey, look what I did. I, I get the work I mean, I did the work, so I get the credit. Paul says, Far be it for me to boast, except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not Paul just in a different way saying he's boasting himself. When he says I'm boasting in Christ, he's saying I'm not pointing myself. I'm directing all the attention to the one who's done it. How is it done? How has it happened? Look at Jesus on the cross. It's not only boast. He has done it all. He has done it all. And so he gets all the glory. At its heart, trying to earn our salvation is an attempt to rob God of his glory. There's nothing more dangerous in all of the world than that. Try to rob God of his glory. Paul could take no glory because he'd done nothing to save himself. It was the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross by the Father's own choosing that had resulted in his salvation. And so he says, Look at Jesus. That's who gets all the glory. We're saved because God has done it. If we're continue through the book of Romans, we would see the same theme of salvation being a work of God repeated in many and and various ways. Just kind of scan your eyes through. Chapter 4, we learn that God counted Abraham righteous before he did any good work. It was simply because Abraham had faith in the promises of God. Look at chapter 5. We find that through faith rather than works, we can have confidence that our relationship with God has been reconciled. Why? Because the one man Jesus has done what the one man Adam could not do. Chapter 6, we see that we haven't been merely made better, but we've been made alive, raised to walk in newness of life, Paul says. We have been set free. He uses this setting free from slavery language. Now, we've talked about this. Can a dead person give himself new life? No. Use the slavery imagery. Can can a slave set herself free? No. We need someone to give us that new life. We need someone to set us free, and that is God. And you look at the end of chapter 6, and we see that this salvation is a gift is a free gift through Jesus Christ. Go to chapter 7. We see that God has saved us and he keeps saving us despite the ease with which we fall prey this temptation. That's where Paul is saying, the very things I want to do I don't do and the very things I don't want to do are the things I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. What's become, become of this body of death? And then he says, but thanks be to God. Why? Because he's given us the victory. Because of me? No. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we go to chapter 8, we see that it is in Christ that we are not condemned. It is through the Spirit of God that we've received adoption as sons. And it's through God's electing purposes that we can say with confidence that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, despite the sufferings of this present time. And then all of that leads into chapters 9 through 11. And, and that can only be described, I think, as a, as a mind-blowing attempt at understanding the mind of God. Chapters 9 through 11, it's a mind-blowing attempt. I don't mean that disrespectfully towards God's word. God is not like God attempted to tell us something and he failed in that. Just from a human perspective, it's Paul trying to wrestle with the eternal purposes of God. Paul seeks to unpack God's eternal purposes in salvation in chapters 9 through 11. Where does Israel fit into into this plan? Where do the Gentiles fit into God's plan? Come to think of it, how much of all of this has been planned by God or is part of it by chance, some of it by accident? Some of it, our own choosing. And the comforting answer is that all of it has been planned by God. Every single bit of it, all of salvation history and all of salvation future has happened and will happen according to God's eternal plan of salvation, including your and my individual salvation. Which leaves those of us whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel then bowing alongside Paul at the end of chapter 11. Hopefully without one shred of thought that somehow we have contributed anything to our salvation. And therefore hopefully without one thought that we are worthy of any tiny little minuscule of the glory for our salvation. And so we see Paul breaking out a doxology into worship and to praise at the end of chapter 11. And he says this, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Church, how are we saved? We're saved because God has done the work of salvation, not us. Which means he gets all the glory. And that's really the answer to the why question. Why has he saved us? Well, for his glory. How has he saved us? In a way that he gets the glory. Why has he saved us? For his glory. In God's sovereign plan, he knew that he would receive glory by rescuing sinners from their sin through the death, burial, resurrection, exaltation of his son. God knew that that plan of salvation would point to him as the author of salvation. And he would get all the glory. Notice this verse from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter forty three, verse twenty-five, we find this this phrase, this sentence here. He says, God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Catch that? Man, that's convicting, but so often we make salvation so much about us. And God says through the prophet Isaiah, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake god didn't ultimately save you for your sake or me for my sake ultimately he saved us if we have trusted in christ for his own sake for his glory and yet here's the here's the awesome thing whenever god acts for his own sake we benefit full trust in christ god's glory ends up being our good it's the kind of god that we serve and we ought to worship him For that, only God is worthy of glory to consider how and why we have been saved. But remember I said that chapter 11, verse 36 is like a hinge verse. It's attached to one part, but it's also attached to the other part, right? That's what a hinge does. It's attached in two different places. So it's attached to everything that came before it. It's also attached to everything that comes after it in this book. On one hand, it serves as a conclusion to the explanation of the gospel in chapters 1 through 11, but we don't want to forget about it as we move into the how we should live in light of the gospel part of the book of romans brothers and sisters here's the thing if god saved us for his glory then he intends for our saved lives to be lived for his glory if god saved us for his glory then he intends for our saved lives to be lived for his glory and that's the second truth that i want to share with you only god is worthy of glory as we live saved lives Only he's worthy of glory as we consider the how and the why that we've been saved. We look back and see how it is that I'm saved. Why am I saved? It's for God's glory. But then as we look at our lives right now, only God is worthy of glory for the saved lives that he has given to us. Right on the heels of Paul saying, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Therefore, in light of all that I've said in chapters 1 through 11, in light of that verse that I just said, that all glory belongs to God, in light of that, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Paul said. What is Paul saying? He's saying that because we have been rescued from our sin, we ought not to live in sin anymore. Because we've been declared righteous, we ought to live righteous lives. Because we have been saved for the glory of God, we ought to live saved lives for the glory of God. Then here comes our flesh and we start thinking around in our lives and we want to say, Oh yeah, well I do that pretty, pretty much. I do that most of the time. But we have to ask the question, Paul, how much? To what extent are we to live for the glory of God? Because sometimes it's easier to live for the glory of God and sometimes it's pretty hard to live for the glory of God. In fact, sometimes it's a war. If we're honest, most of the time it's a war in our flesh of whether or not we're going to live for the glory of God or not. Well, the answer Paul gives, the answer God gives is... With 100% of who you are. With 100% of who you are. Notice the language. He says we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Chapter 12 verse 1. That's, that's, that's going back to Old Testament language. Hey, listen. When, when, when they put the lamb on the altar. They didn't burn part of it. It burned the whole thing. It was all offered to God. Every bit of it. Paul says that's how our lives are to be lived. Every bit of our lives, the praise of his glory, moment by moment, day by day, choosing to think, speak, and act in such a way that our lives are a pleasing aroma to the holy God. And we don't have any excuse not to live that way because of chapters 1 through 11 right? God has redeemed us from our sin. He set us free. He's adopted us into his family. We've had the darkness of sin removed from our hearts and replaced that replaced with the holiness, the light of the holiness of God. We have no excuse not to live for the praise of his glory. So what does it look like to live for God's glory in area of my area of my life? Well, Paul helps us out. He gives some examples in chapters 12 through 16. I'm not going to give you chapter and verse of every one, but if you kind of Slowly turn through chapter 12 through 16 as I give you some of these examples. You'll see them there. We're to resist being squeezed into the ways of the world. We, we are to serve humbly in the body of Christ. We are to be fervent in our love for one another and our willingness to suffer for the cause of Christ and in our refusal to repay evil for evil, Paul says. We get into chapter 13. We're to submit appropriately to our governing authorities which requires humility on our part. We're to let our love for one another lead us far away from sexual immorality and sensuality. Far away from quarreling and jealousy. These are examples that Paul gives in Romans. You go on in the letter we're to die to ourselves for the sake of a weaker brother. Not leading that person into sin. And then if you get into chapters 15 and 16, we see that we're to order our lives around the mission of God to ensure that all the peoples of the world hear the good news of the gospel. Whether that's by going as Paul is doing, he's on his way to Spain. As he writes this letter, he's going to stop in Rome. Whether it's going as Paul is doing or whether it's by sending as Paul is expecting the Roman Christians to do, to send him on his way. As he passes through on his way to Spain. Church, Soli Deo Glory is not merely about telling God in a prayer or in a song, Thank you. We should do that. We should do more of that. But it's about more than that. It's about telling Him thank you, giving Him glory with every thought, word, and action. He saved us for His glory. We are not our own, we are bought with a price. Therefore, we're to glorify God with our bodies. We are to submit every area of our lives to the purpose of reflecting the intense glory of God. Church, God is worthy of glory when everyone is watching. And he's worthy of glory when no one is watching. God is worthy of glory on Sunday when we gather for worship. And he's worthy of glory on Monday through Saturday when we're scattered throughout our community. He's worthy of glory in the classroom, in the factory, in the office. He's worthy of glory in the kitchen, in the living room, in the bedroom. He's worthy of glory when we're looking at our phones or looking at our televisions or looking at a computer. He's worthy of glory when we spend our money, when we plan our calendars. He's worthy of glory when we make plans for the future, when we think about marriage, when we decide who we're to date or should we date or who we're going to marry one day, if that's God's will for us. He's worthy of glory when we're mistreated. He's worthy of glory when the doctor says it doesn't look good. He's worthy of glory when our children are acting as if they are descendants of Adam. If you catch what I'm saying. He's worthy of glory when our plans fail. He's worthy of glory. All the time. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, so whether you eat or drink. Or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Johann Sebastian Bach is one of the great composers in history, and he came kind of on the heels of the Protestant Reformation. and And if you if you look up some of his his um, works of music, where he's composed and handwritten this music. Um, if you look at the bottom of a lot of them, you'll see these initials, SDG. You say, well, that doesn't sound like Johann Sebastian Bach. Does you know how to spell his name? Well, he knows how to spell his name. What do you think SDG stands for? Soli Deo Gloria. He would sign those initials at the bottom of his, his pieces of music. Why? Because he understood that, that God's glory was so great that every part of his life, Not just when he showed up at a worship gathering, but everything that he did was worthy of the glory of God. If he was going to write music, if it was worth writing, he was going to write it for the glory of God. I wonder if we could sign SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, to the bottom of all of our work, to the bottom of all of our conversations, to the bottom of our bank accounts, our relationships, our calendars, our parenting, our service in the church. For from him and through him and to him are all things, all things, all things. To him be glory forever. May God's grace, church, continue its work in our lives as we seek to live for the glory of the God who saved us for his glory. Only God is worthy of glory as we live saved lives. And that brings us to the final truth I want to share. God God alone gets all the glory for our salvation. God alone is worthy of the glory of the saved lives that we live. And finally, God alone is going to get the glory for all of eternity. God alone is going to get the glory for all of eternity. Only God is worthy of glory for all eternity. This verse says, for from him and through him and to him. You should have this verse memorized by the end of this service, by the way. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory. When? Forever. Amen. Forever. Amen. Amen. Church, Soledale, glory is not just for this life. It is forever. Never has God shared his glory with any other and never will he share his glory with any other. And the good news is that we who have received this gift of salvation, which brings him glory, will get to participate in joyfully glorifying him for all of eternity. Paul repeats this at the very end of Romans. You look at the very last letter in this book. He says, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to take us to heaven for just a moment. Can we do that? Can we go to the presence of the God who has saved us? In Revelation 4, the apostle John sees the 24 elders casting their crowns before the throne of God. And they are saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then you go to chapter 5 of Revelation, and we see Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, joining them. And, and, And this glorious celebration breaks out. First, the living creatures and the elders worship, and they say, Worthy are you, talking to Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Notice who's done it all. They're giving all the glory to Jesus. He's done it, not us. And then myriads and myriads... Thousands and thousands of angels join in the celebration. Notice how it's growing, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, scripture says, joins in this celebration. And they say to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And then we turn to turn to chapter seven. If I could just say it this way, the glory volume gets cranked up loud. Because there, the text says, behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to who? Our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne. They worship God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Do you see a theme? It's all about the glory of God. It always has been and always will be and it ought to be what our lives are about every single day. Only God is worthy of glory for all of eternity. Brothers and sisters, any salvation that gives glory to anyone or anything else is a false salvation. The only true salvation is one where God gets all the glory. And that is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to Scripture alone. Grace alone means God has done the work. Through faith means that we declare we can't do the work, but we trust that God has done the work for us. And Christ means that it's through God, uh, through Jesus that God has done the work of our salvation. And according to Scripture, it means that God's the one who has revealed it to us. If it weren't for that, we wouldn't even know about it. And so we're left only saying, soli deo gloria. To God alone be the glory. Friend, will you be a part of that multitude one day giving glory to God forever? Are you a part of the redeemed living for the glory of God today? Have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? Listen, if you haven't, you have an opportunity today. If you've been trying to earn your way to God, whatever, whatever way you've been trying to be counted right before God. If it's anything other than a way that brings God the glory. Which means you're just depending upon what God has done for your salvation. Trusting in Jesus It's a false way of salvation. You have an opportunity today to trust in Jesus. Will you believe in him? And if you have, Christian, will you just consider, will I just consider how we could live our lives even more to the praise of his glory? Even more to the praise of the glory of the God who has saved us for his glory. May we join with the angels who announced the birth of the Savior with these words. Glory to God in the highest. That's why Jesus came. Glory to God in the highest. And may we join with the Apostle Paul and say, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Father, as the psalmist said, not to us, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. God, not to us, but to your name. God, we exalt the name of Jesus. The name that is above every name. He has done it. And we worship Him.